everybody. Welcome back. I'm your host, Evan Maines, and this is the Quarantine Storytellers Podcast. Again, not a coronavirus podcast. This is uh, inspired by how do we fight isolation? How do we overcome isolation? And I believe story is absolutely a part of that. But uh, we have an amazing episode lined up for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. And first off, I just want to say thank you. We have been overwhelmed by the responses that we have been getting to our first couple episodes. And if you haven't checked those out yet, please go check them out. Um, we, I think, I think they're really good. And I'm not, I'm saying that very humbly. And I humbly thank you for tuning in. Um, remember to continue to share those talk about those uh, the whole next step out of these podcasts is to go and share stories uh, and continue to just talk about it yes help us get it's going to be a lot of your help that's going to help us reach new audiences and continue to spread the message of why story matters uh, also be sure to follow us on instagram and twitter at fight with story yes Uh, Today on the episode, my two good friends, Tyler Hill and David Tanner, are here to share stories. Um, But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I just want to say and briefly discuss that I, myself, like many Americans, have felt grief-stricken by the recent murders of Ahmaud Arbery, a man who was shot down by two white neighborhood watchmen in Georgia, Breonna Taylor, the woman wrongfully killed due to a botched raid by the Louisville, Kentucky police, And now, George Floyd, a man who essentially suffocated while in handcuffs, uh, while former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, I think I'm saying his name right, knelt on the top of the back of his neck. Um, These terrible, terrible things. And for me, the first thing I feel, the initial feeling is helplessness. The temptation is to be passive and sit back and and just be, well, I'll just share a few things on social media. I'll just, you know, kind of make good feelings out of this. And and that's how I'll show my support. And it's the idea of supporting from the sidelines and feeling that because I'm a white person, that there's not much that I can do. But after a lot of prayer and consideration and some amazing conversations I've been having with my friends of color, um, I've realized that I need to be standing in the battle side by side with my brothers and sisters of color uh, and, and using story as a way to do that. Um, and I feel kind of guilty with this new thing and it can feel like we're doing things to promote our thing, but I promise you that If our mission is to reach people with story, that's what we're going to do. Now, some of you may even hear that and say, well, I thought the Quarantine Storytellers podcast didn't have an agenda or didn't take a stand. But I want to ensure you that this is different than that. I also said that I wanted to ensure a safe environment for all. And that also goes outside the limits of just the podcast. Story has no limits, and it breaks down walls. So for our next episode, we're actually kind of averting from our typical format. Uh, We're kind of breaking up the schedule a little bit. And we will be focusing our next episode on a few stories centered around race. I will be traveling to Cincinnati in a couple days to sit down with my good friend Cameron Marshall to hear his stories of overcoming in the face of racial tension, police profiling, and just general ignorance from people who just do not understand uh, or, or see an issue at all. Uh, it's going to be a great discussion between him and I, and I think that's what's important is people who may not look like each other sitting down with each other and sharing stories and reminding each other that they are loved 
and that they are cared for on both sides. So I'm excited for that. Stay tuned for that. That should be coming out next week. So let's move into today's episode. I want to introduce my first guest for this episode. His name is Tyler Hill. I'm thankful to know Tyler and call him a friend. He is extremely passionate, and he is a dude who puts people first. He's also really freaking good at Call of Duty. Uh, But today, he wants to tell a story of how going out of your way to show warmth and welcome to complete strangers isn't always easy. Here is Tyler's story. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and then by the end of it, you realize you're never going to look at life the same way? These are the moments that I really crave. They like keep me going. I really love getting to know people and what makes them who they are. Every once in a while, I get to have an interaction with someone that I cannot help but tell like everyone about because it's left such a deep impact on me. A few years ago, I had one of these experiences with a man named Steven, but in order to understand why it was such a big deal, I have to give you a little bit of background on who I am. When I was a kid growing up, I was super shy. I don't know why, but it was always really hard for me to interact with other people. Like I would hide behind my mom when we would see, you know, people we knew in the grocery store and stuff. And then also, like most kids that grew up in the 90s, a lot of my understanding the world came through watching TV. And like, that's where I learned what cool was. That's where I learned how to be a good friend, how to do well in sports, how to get good grades. But not everything I saw on TV was great because I feel like sometimes the TV lied to me. And uh, one of the ways is I remember watching some things that made me afraid of other people, specifically homeless people. It's really, <laughs> it's really hard to nail where I first became aware of homeless people, but I think it was watching Home Alone 2, which if you haven't seen Home Alone 2, there's this like homeless woman that Kevin sees in a park and she's really creepy because she's always covered in pigeons and she freaked me out. So for years and years after that, I was convinced somehow that all homeless people wanted to harm me or like kidnap me. It sounds really silly, but it's 100% true. And honestly, this fear of homeless people, it lasted for years and years, like well into college. In college, like I'd be driving around and trying to find somewhere to park, and I would go far, far out of my way to avoid interacting with homeless people, which is like impossible, especially if you live in the city like I did. We've all probably done this move with homeless people that I call the pocket pat. You know, like when you're walking along and you can tell like there's this homeless person a little further down the way that's definitely going to ask you for money and like... They hit you with that question like, hey, you got any change? Can you help me out? And then we just kind of like lower our heads and don't make eye contact. And, you know, we just pat all of our pockets and we repeatedly say like, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Can't help. Sorry. I think we've all probably done that move, even though we probably could help them. 
One time as a kid, I remember giving some change to these street musicians. They were, they were these guys outside of an Atlanta Braves baseball game, and they were banging on these buckets, and it was like amazing. I thought it was so cool. So I remember I reached out of my pocket and I had like some change, some loose change. And as I walked by without my family knowing, I just dropped the change in their bucket. And I felt like such a freaking daredevil. Like it was the riskiest thing I could have ever done. Like me just walking by them, giving them some change. And like they didn't even punch me or they didn't try to kidnap me or something stupid. So anyways... There's your background. Let's get to the point. Let's talk about Stephen. A few years ago, I was newly married, and I wanted to do something nice for my wife. Uh, She was at work, and I wanted to surprise her with a small gift when she got off and came home. So I drove down to the OTR neighborhood in Cincinnati to buy her a candle. It was a really nice day, so I decided to park a few blocks away so I can enjoy a nice, long, sunny walk to the shop. And I parked my car on Main Street right next to one of those pay terminals. So I jumped out, started paying, and as I stood there waiting for my receipt to print, I could tell someone was approaching me to the, from the right. So I noticed it was this homeless guy, and he was trying to sell newspapers. I did that like quick eye contact with him and then turned my head the opposite direction and like it's so terrible, and I know that we've all done this at some point. I just tried to pretend he wasn't there, like he wasn't exist. Like I didn't notice him. It wasn't real. So I put the parking receipt on my dashboard, and as soon as I closed my door and turned around, there he was, standing right in front of me. And to this day, I don't know what happened, but for some reason, I felt this strong sense of courage. And I decided that I wouldn't be embarrassed or I wouldn't be afraid of this guy like the woman from Home Alone 2 covered in pigeons. Uh, Instead, I was going to try and actually talk to him. So he offered me a chance to buy a newspaper. And instead of saying just like, no, 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 sorry, can't help you, man. I looked him in the eye and I asked him his name. He told me his name was Stephen. Stephen Lucas Jr. I told him I didn't have any money to buy a newspaper, but I was going to buy my wife a candle and whatever change was left over, I would give it all to him. But he just had to walk with me to the store. And he said, sure. I seriously, I couldn't believe I said that to him. I was freaking out. I was shaking. But here we are. I'm walking along the sidewalk with Stephen Lucas Jr. And I was along for the ride. He started telling me his entire life story pretty much. He was almost 60. He had a son he hadn't seen in decades. He was originally from Atlanta, but was living in Cincinnati uh, on the streets because he had family close by. He was selling newspapers to try and make money to stay in a shelter. He told me how... When he was younger, he was chasing this girl around, and eventually the two of them became drug addicts. They pretty much, they just got addicted to smoking crack and drinking a lot of alcohol. And eventually the two of them had a son, the same kid that he hadn't seen in decades. As he was telling me this, I just kept like nodding my head and saying, oh man, that's crazy. Wow, that's crazy. Seriously, that's crazy, man. 
I just kept saying some version of that's crazy over and over again because I realized I didn't have anything to say to this guy. He had been through so much and I hadn't been through anything like that. So we kept walking, talking and all that good stuff. And he told me he had been clean for over five years. And even though he was still like stuck living on the streets, being homeless, he was doing whatever he could to help younger guys that had drug problems told me how, you know, he would encourage him to, you know, step away from their addiction and try and clean up. And it was pretty amazing to hear him say that kind of thing. And at one point I asked him if it was hard to make money selling newspapers. And then he started to tell me something that I will never forget. He told me that it was actually easier for him to get a job compared to other people because he had never really spent time in jail. He could like clean bathrooms, work in a warehouse, wash windows, sell newspapers. He told me his last real job was at the airport unloading DHL planes with all their shipments, but like that was a few years ago. He said, this is what he said. This blew my mind. He said, the problem with getting a job is once I start making money, I get scared. My whole life has pretty much been unstable with, you know, chasing that girl, dropping out of high school, becoming a drug addict, not being able to be a dad. My whole life has been unstable. So once I get a job and I start making money and things start becoming stable, I get scared and I run the other way. What I'm really addicted to is instability. That, that was it. Like that was the moment that forever changed the way I look at the world and look at other people because here was this homeless man that I was initially scared of but he also just gave me this amazing piece of wisdom. Stephen had so much self-awareness and confidence when he said that I'm addicted to instability. We kept walking and talking for like another 30 minutes before I actually went in and bought that candle. I gave him the change and we started walking back to my car and we just continued to chat. He said a lot more that, you know, was pretty awesome and it blew my mind, but I didn't hear like much more of it because I was so shook by his earlier comment. I'm addicted to instability. Ever since that conversation with Stephen Lucas Jr., I treat every single person differently. He helped me realize that everyone deserves to be listened to regardless of their circumstances. Part of me, like, part of me truly wonders if there would be as many homeless people as there are if others sat down, looked, at the, looked them in the eye, asked them their name, and truly just listened to them. I've had several amazing conversations with homeless people since then. Not every one of them is this mind-blowing, life-altering experience. Like, one time I sat down next to this guy and he told me it was his birthday and he really wanted a beer. Could I go into the store and buy him a beer for his birthday? And I was like, is it really your birthday? And he told me no. And I appreciated his honesty, so what I did is I went in the store and I actually bought him a Dr. Pepper instead. Um, but yeah, not all of them are these amazing conversations like I had with Steven. 
sometimes it's worth it to just take the time to listen to someone who should be listened to. And each time I try to do that, I feel like I become a better listener, I become a better friend, a better husband, a better worker, and just like a better person in general. you so much Tyler for sharing that story and if I can pull anything from it it's again to not fear people we need to hear stories of why it matters uh, to be for people and to not have an unrealistic fear of any kind of person our next storyteller is my friend David Tanner a little bit about David David is a really thought-provoking individual who brings great perspective into my life he has spoken into my life uh, and what it means to struggle well and realistically live with a hope of faith as well as deal with depression in very healthy ways. He keeps me accountable. We check in on each other. A fun fact, his mom and my mom are childhood friends, so fate has put us together. David and I were uh, at one time uh, for a few years in a group of people who we were taught how to connect with people better and then connect them to their story more deeply in their core identity. Uh, in that group, uh, David one night opened up about the recent loss of his and his wife Kaylee's unborn child due to a tragic miscarriage. He also told us about that day and some very interesting things that occurred. Now, I just want to say this is one of my favorite stories of all time that I've ever heard, and I'm so elated that David has decided to share it on the podcast. Um, now, I want to say this story may strike people as crass, but remember, you know, we believe here at the Quarantine Storytellers podcast that joy and sorrow can exist in the same breath. I will also say that if you are easily offended by discussion of poop, or involuntarily losing your bowels, you may want to skip out on this one. But again, I reiterate, joy and sorrow can exist in the same breath. And this is one of my favorite stories of all time. Without further ado, here is David and his story. my wife and I got married in the summer of 2016. Uh, we knew right away we wanted to get pregnant. We wanted to have a family. Uh, so we just started trying right away. Um, we found out in that fall that we were pregnant and we were just elated. We, we were so excited for the opportunity to be parents and to uh, bring a baby in this world. Uh, fast forward a little bit in December uh, when she was 10 weeks pregnant, uh, she had started some bleeding. And um, both of us, I mean, it was just, you know, our, our worst fear that something would happen with this pregnancy. So we uh, immediately scheduled a doctor's appointment um, just to find out what was going on. Sometimes it's normal, sometimes it's not, sometimes it um, can lead to really bad things. So uh, we were obviously very nervous about what was happening. Um, so the day rolls around where it's the appointment, it's just a couple days later. And um, I went to work that day. Uh, knowing I would have to leave and go to the hospital with my wife. 
uh, I was at work and man, my stomach was just killing me all day. It was rumbling. I felt like I was going to throw up the entire time. Uh, obviously it was my nerves and, um, like I knew that, but there was nothing I could do to stop it until we actually heard something, heard the news, heard whatever. So all day I'm just wrecked. Um, I go to the bathroom like four or five times. Uh, I'm trying the whole time not to throw up. It's terrible. So it comes to the time where I'm supposed to go to the appointment. And my wife calls me and says, hey, I forgot. We need to go pay rent. Um, We need to get that taken care of. So it's great. I'll go pay rent first, and then I'll meet you at the hospital. I'm driving down from work, and I'm crossing a bridge in Cincinnati called the Big Mac Bridge. And uh, my stomach still is just wrecked at this point. So I I know, like, I just have to fart a little bit. I have to get something out of me to relieve some of this pressure. So I did, and it felt real weird. The whole whole thing, it like, it was kind of warm. I'm like, this isn't right. I don't know what's going on. So obviously, you know, I have to check it. So I reach down, and I put my hand down my pants a little bit. And I pull my hand out, and I just have shit fingers. I'm, I'm looking at it like... I, there's literally my my middle finger, my ring finger, and my pinky finger just covered in poop, and I am petrified. I'm like, uh, uh, I just pooped myself. I have to go pay rent. I have to go to the hospital. What am I gonna do? So this is the middle of December, and I am. It's cold outside, so I have my heat blowing. So the stench is just unbelievable in my car. And it's like starting to dry onto my fingers. So I had to do something. I was going to throw up because of the smell itself. I rolled down my window and I'm just kind of holding my hand out. I don't want to hold it out too far because I don't want people to see that I have shit fingers and I'm just driving around with poop on my hand. So during this, my mom calls me and she's like, hey, I just wanted to talk to you about everything going on. She wanted to just console me and try to make me feel better in whatever way she could. And the problem is my phone was in my right hand pocket. I picked it up with my right hand. My left hand is the one with poop all over it. And I've had to drive with just my index finger and my thumb with the window rolled down, trying to maneuver with just those fingers because I didn't want to get poop all over my car. It'd be terrible. So the whole time she's talking, I'm like, Man, I just want to end this conversation. I really want to tell her, like, hey, mom, thanks a lot for calling. But I pooped myself, and it's really hard to drive with shit fingers. But I know I can't tell her that. So after, like, 10 minutes of being on the phone with her, driving like that, we finally hang up with each other. And at this point, I'm like, I cannot go pay rent. I I cannot. I can't do this when I smell so bad. Uh, So I rush home, and I get out of my car, and I, like, duck waddle, you know, that little walk you do. When you poop yourself, I don't know if you pooped yourself, uh, but I walk like that to the door. Thankfully, we didn't have many neighbors around us. Uh, I, I throw open the door and I just run to the shower and I start showering with my clothes on and I take them off in the process. I start, you know, just spraying them out, trying to get everything out of there. And at this point, I'm like, OK, I'm going to be late for this doctor's appointment. So I shut off the shower. I go get dressed real quick. I run out to my car to get back in it so I can go to the hospital. I open the door and there's just a huge shit stain all up my seat. And I'm like, I cannot deal with this right now. I cannot deal with it. So I run inside. I get some paper towels and some kind of cleaner. 
I'm spraying it and I'm wiping it, but it's like a fiber seat. So I'm just spreading it around at this point. Nothing is helping it. I'm going to be late. So I just run in and grab a towel, throw it on my seat. So the whole way to the hospital, I'm just sitting in my own poop, which is awful because the smell was still there. So I had to roll down the window again in the middle of winter. So finally, I go to the hospital. I finally make it there. Um, and we get to the appointment and we find out that we're having a miscarriage. Um, they can't hear the heartbeat any longer. Um, the bleeding is because the baby is exiting. And um, obviously, my wife and I are just wrecked. Uh, this was the most pain that we've ever experienced in our life. Um, the the fear all leading up to it. Um, it was by far the worst thing we had ever gone through. We walk outside and we go to my wife's car and we're sitting there and we're just sobbing. We're trying to process everything going on. We're trying to, to figure out, you know, what do we do? How do we get through this? Stuff like that. So in the middle of us talking through that, just sobbing with each other, I stop her. And I say, hey, hey, I have to tell you something. I didn't pay rent today because I shit myself on the way over. And she just lost it. Laughing, but crying still at the same time. Both of us are just dying in the parking lot for a few minutes. And I, I can't imagine what people thought if they looked in our car. Like, why are they crying and laughing at the same time? That's super weird. Um, so, yeah, that whole experience... Uh, obviously super dark and super impactful for us but at the same time I think I, I honestly believe that God used me pooping myself to help us find some humor in one of the darkest times in our lives um, and it worked we were uh, able to laugh in that moment when we didn't think anything could do that for us uh, fast forward to today uh, we do have uh, two beautiful girls um, and this is definitely my favorite story to tell still, and I will continue to tell it for as long as I live. Like I said, it's one of my favorite stories of all time. I remember the first time hearing it, a mixture of tears and laughter, because again, the story is beautiful. And in this life, we can find sorrow and joy in the same breath. Uh, it's a great reminder that as humans, we can face great loss and tragedy. And it's also this kind of uh, unconventional way of a reminder to keep hope and to keep going and finding every excuse to smile and laugh. Well, that is our third episode. We're wrapping up and thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to share and comment and like. And tell us what, how we're doing. Give us feedback. Let us know. We welcome the feedback. Be sure to follow us on our Instagram and Twitter at Fight With Story. And be sure to stay tuned for the following uh, very special episode four that we are doing next week centered on race. Uh, and remember, your next step is to step out with story and share with those you love. Until next time, we are the Quarantine Storytellers Podcast, and we will see you then. Godspeed. Godspeed.